0: Welcome to Innovation Friday. This is where your startup journey begins. We talk about entrepreneurship and things that are interesting for early stage founders like rock bottom and most rewarding moments. Trishna Nagrani from Panama is paving her way as a co-founder of Kaiku, which she founded in her last years of studies. Kaiku is a startup that aims at making early stage funding smarter and faster. Trishna has over three years of experience in the finance sector, currently also working as an investment analyst. Welcome, Trishna. Hello. Nice to have you here. Trishna, with Kaiku, the service that you are building, you promise to make data driven decisions when matching early stage startups with investors. Can you please tell us how you came up with this idea and maybe have you experienced investments that were not data driven?
1: Thank you for that. And I think it's two questions in one to your first question in terms of how we came up with the idea. It started off with three co-founders and also with several people, part of the team today, we are a team of 10. Each one of us focuses on a different stream. You could say our CEO, Alex, he focuses on business development and fundraising, our second co-founder, Shanel focuses um, on selling the platform and matching startups with investors. I myself focus on product development and Mm -hmm. growth. In terms of how we came up with the idea, I think it was a combination of several people in that. We always knew that we wanted to help early stage ventures. I think that was always the core of Kaiku and always will be. In terms of how we came up with the idea as well is I personally have researched on women in venture capital in my final year of university with crunch-based data, Mm -hmm. as well as support from some people from organizations like Diversity VC or the Diana Project, as well as all of us have some or the other experience in entrepreneurship. In my case, I had led the first student-led startup incubator for two years at university as well called the Warwick Incubator, amalgamate all of those experiences as well as from all of my team members and co-founders, the core of helping early stage startups started from there. So that's what we do. And in terms of your second question of whether I've seen the not data-driven transactions, yes, I have seen, not from Kaiku, but I have mm-hmm. seen it during my years at investment banking. I cannot disclose details of the transaction, unfortunately. Not, yeah. <laughs> but yes, I did see one that was completely relationship driven
0: you started the company in your last year at the university where probably while doing your your thesis and in this part of the journey what was the part that you were struggling most about
1: when starting off the journey i always felt like starting off the journey that's a great way because you have an idea you're all pumped about it it's executing the idea the challenges that come with it we have struggled before we've overcome some of those struggles. We have some today, we will overcome those and we'll eventually come up with new struggles.
0: What were you struggling most about? Was it building the product, finding beta users or investment? What was it? I'm asking because we have uh, listeners that are also students and maybe they want to start a company and so that they know what will come, what happens, and maybe you can give them also some advice on how they can overcome the struggles, as you mentioned.
1: Sure. I think one struggle we had was being more focused. You know, it's easy to deviate, but you know, maintaining the laser focus, that's one. And breaking down problems into smaller parts. I think it has been a journey in itself. It's not something you do overnight. You learn this through multiple struggles. But if I have to summarize all of them, the essence of those Mm -hmm. struggles was not being ultra laser focused, which I think we should at early stage, or at least that's my, my perspective and breaking down problems as small as possible so you can start achieving each one part by part.
0: Okay, thank you. How did the pandemic affect your journey?
1: The pandemic really helped us. I will be honest about that because our model works on, if you look at it, it's virtual deal-making. It's connecting startups and investors through the platform, helping them throughout the deal-making process and, with the pandemic, both investors and startups, I also saw that in the investment banking world, companies got comfortable and investors got comfortable doing deals virtually, sometimes not even having to do due diligence physically or not having met the person or the the founder, not even once throughout the journey. So I think COVID just really magnified, what we were trying to sell. I think, you know, meeting startups and meeting founders, meeting investors, generally, physically, you know, getting to know them, getting to know their journey and then getting them on the platform. That was our usual source of getting people to the platforms. We definitely do miss that, you know, aspect of just meeting founders and listening to their journeys in events such as demo days and conferences.
0: One of the keywords and one of your selling proposition is that you're making it data-driven. How much data do you need in order to say, okay, I can make an informed data-driven decision, or is it enough if I'm super young and I have the idea, I come to the platform, put in my idea, and then you find a suitable investor for me. How does it work?
1: That's actually a good question. In terms of data-driven, I think the answer is not how much data the startup has, it's actually how Mm -hmm. much data the investor needs to make that informed decision. Okay. And I can can tell you that having seen different stages of deal making, the further you are, the more information an investor expects from a starter, the earlier, the less information is required. You can see deals made on a handkerchief. We've heard of those. You can see deals made after one year of due diligence. So how much data really is needed depends on the investor, how much data really the investor needs to make an informed decision. And that's exactly what we're working on. So how much data is needed? I cannot give you a generic answer because every investor will give you a different answer to that. And sometimes they themselves will not be able to phrase it, that this is how much we really need to be comfortable. Okay. And sometimes it's not the quantity of data, sometimes it's the quality of data, right? And it goes back to what we were talking previously. So in terms of quality of data, and that's actually where our main usb comes it's not just being data driven our main usp and as we always say is providing quality startups so mm-hmm. that's where I think it's not the quantity of data that really matters
0: do you also help startups with feedback if you I mean you you have a startup that signed up logged in and your machine learning models your evaluation say that it's not really a quality do you have? any program anything that you can support the startups the founders to become better
1: that's actually something we're exactly working on is Mm -hmm. being able to help startups becoming fundraising ready as they call it or if there's any small detail missing or we can polish up the profile further that's exactly what we have in our product roadmap i look at it nonetheless whether we have it today not in the platform but we do provide feedback one
0: and one. That's great. And in this whole journey, what was the the moment when or was there a rock button moment where you said, "Oh, why am, why am I doing it? I will just quit and do something else.
1: We definitely had several challenges in the last two and a half years. I don't think we ever came to a point of quitting and touch wood to that. Personally, I was managing an investment banking analyst role in Kaiku, mm-hmm. so there, I, I entered with my open eyes nonetheless it was rigorous both physically and emotionally so you know i was absorbing like a sponge everything that i was getting from both haiku mm-hmm. and the investment banking world and it was very transferable the knowledge and the skills mm-hmm. i was learning but there were moments that were draining physically and emotionally
0: why did you decide to continue what keeps you motivated
1: Looked at motivation of in terms of impact. Like if I'm really solving a meaningful, big global problem, then I, I would want to be part of it. And that's how I've always seen it. And the way I've always perceived myself as an individual is I'm a connector, whether it's connecting capital with opportunities or a person to a person or a person to organization. And if you look at Kaiku, um connect, we are connecting early stage capital with founders. And when you look at my investment analyst role, it is connecting capital with emerging market companies, and more importantly, connecting the unconnected, You know, providing telecom infrastructure in the most remote areas of the world.
0: What was the hardest decision you made up to this point?
1: Within Kaiku, I think recruitment is always a hard decision, right? Because you're it's the first few people you're bringing into your baby. And these are people who will stay for years. I don't think of them as first employee, second employee. I always think of them, you're part of this co-founding team, even though we had months and years with it. So I always find recruitment as that long-term decision of, do we want to work with this person and be part of this co-founding team for years to come? I don't think it's one specific case that's hard, but every time we come across and we're we're growing the team from the last few months. So it's been a lot of recruitment in general. So every single time you're finalizing, a new role I find it a little hard yeah
0: you find it hard to find people to finalize the role or to make the decision between top five candidates
1: there are different factors right sometimes it's the experience of the person sometimes it's the motivation of the person are they going to be there for the long haul or mm-hmm. not sometimes as you said there are very good applicants and I, there was this one particular role that had a lot of applicants and it was hard choosing one.
0: Was it like you took time off and then you just let it in, sink in from all the candidates? Or h- how do you deal with such, a, with such a decision?
1: We are a team of 10 today. Definitely, it's not a one person decision. It's okay. the entire team makes that decision.
0: Yes, mm-hmm. I see. Last week, I was reading in one, in one book regarding how to manage people and how to be a person that motivates. And in one line remained in my in my mind, because the author was saying that some of the problems within the companies arise from the fact that employees are treated not as team members, but as human resources. And when you start treating them and seeing them just as humans and not as human resources, then you just have another another productivity, you have another climate in the team and things start to go well. And based on my experience, that seems to be true. Do you have any experience in this in this part? So maybe you had to fire someone.
1: I think we have had the absolute lucky aspect of not having to fire okay. someone. <laughs> um, but definitely in terms of team, and I think it's, a, mm-hmm. it's worthwhile telling you a little bit more about the team and how we are structured. We are a team of 10 and we've always been a team of 10. Like we started Mm -hmm. off a team of 10. It's not that we started off small and we grew. We are this unique team setting and each one is very unique in terms of experience. And Mm -hmm. some of us are based across different countries. So when when the pandemic hit, our team dynamics continued. It did not alter significantly. Mm -hmm. And you know, some of the team members have experience from the industry. So in that sense, We've all looked at each other equal. There is no hierarchy. There's, it's a completely flat structure. And this translates to the new people that are joining in. So mm-hmm. this way, in terms of, you know, human resources or hierarchy and decision making, we don't have it. Yes, there is sometimes bubbles. Each one is working on their own things. Mm-hmm. But definitely in terms of having to lay off someone or in terms of, Treating someone as human resources, that's definitely not part of our culture, and that's probably just because of how we have started. And I think the other thing is also everyone in our team, and it's a a word, right? Global mindset. Each one has a very diverse background, whether it's culturally, whether it's professionally or just academically. You know, there are people based in Switzerland, people based in Austria. There's one person based in Poland, Mm -hmm. a couple of them in the UK. I'm based in Panama. Since we have this variety already, it's very hard to see someone Uh as a human resource.
0: Let's assume that you would now be in front of a group of college students that are in their last year, and they would say, would like to found a company. Please give us some valuable piece of advice. What would you say?
1: I think my advice would be be fearless. Mm -hmm. It's very easy to get daunted by your own ideas or by not having an idea or by having an idea and not sure how to execute it. There are a hundred things to get scared of or think this is not possible or how am I going to overcome X, Y, or Z struggle. So my suggestion is always be fearless. Take that leap of faith. I'm not saying it's going to get easier, but at least it gives you the confidence to brave demands.
0: Okay, thank you. Now we come to the last question, unfortunately, and that is which book had the most impact on you?
1: Wow could have an entire podcast of books. I read about them (laughs) four a week. One that impacted me or resonated really well with me is What It Takes, The Pursuits of Excellence by Stephen Schwarzman. For me, he is a very good embodiment of being a finance mogul before even having started Blackstone, but then his entrepreneurial spirit of founding Blackstone and then as well as the philanthropic initiatives he does For me, that entire embodiment works really well when I manage a role as a co-founder of a fintech platform and as well have currently working in finance. Resonates really well with me.
0: Thank you for being here today and sharing from your experience. Is there anything that you would like to add?
1: The only final word, and this is also maybe going back to your question and on the suggestion of what would you tell a final year student as advice, is own your career path. I think it's goes very much in parallel being fearless, but, um, taking it as you want. I've been, I am a co-founder of a a startup, but as well as an investment analyst, Mm -hmm. it's unique. It's very hard to come across that. And I think it's owning your career path. I think we live in an age where you can totally own it and take it forward. So. It goes back to being
0: fearless. Thank you very much. I wish you good luck, both with the investment and with your entrepreneurial career and with Kaiku, that you help a lot of entrepreneurs finding the right investor and investors finding the right startups to invest in. Thank you. Dear listeners, all the resources mentioned in the episode will be in the description of the podcast and also the way how to contact Trishna. Thanks for listening to the Innovation Friday podcast, the place where your startup journey begins. Please let me know how to improve the show. See you next time!